0: On the Empire Podcast this week we get to grips with Paul Thomas Anderson's The Master, Michael Hanukkah's Amour and a little film called Breaking Dawn Part 2 which I think has something to do with Harry Potter. Oh and we indulge our love of Father Ted with the co-creator of the show Mr. Graham Linehan. Hello Pod I'm Chris Hewitt welcome to the Empire Podcast the only movie podcast that's not small it's just far away. As ever I'm joined by a veritable craggy island of colourful characters starting with a loyal lady who's forever trying to make us drink tea and read her Twilight blogs it's Mrs. His daughter, uh, sorry, Helen O'Hara. How are you?
1: I'm very well, thank you. Will you have a cup of tea?
0: I won't, no. Ah, I'm fine. Go on. No, no, no. Go, good. Good, go on, go on, go on. No, no, you I'm fine. Will, I'm you, now, you Hel- Helen! Sorry. Hey! Uh, yes, anyway, back in the room. Uh, next up is a wreck of a man who sits in the corner of our office and occasionally jolts awake only to shout the same four words over and over again. Drink! Feck! Girls! Ozu! Yes, it's our resident art house priest, Father Phil Desemlin. How are you? do I have to talk and no, no. no. <laughs> no, no, no. I strongly recommend you don't <laughs> why is it
2: so completely adamant it was going to be terrible can we use the term monseigneur <laughs> rather than priest if you want yes Thank you. absolutely well
1: that, that's a different rank of priest though
2: I don't know anything about what? this I'm Ranks? telling
1: him yeah
0: okay Monsignor
1: really? is a much more senior priest Ooh, yeah, oh. fun fact people, there you go
0: There you go, you're full of fun Bet Christy you. facts uh, And last but not least is a lovable greyish Haired old rogue Who often dreams of a bigger and better life Outside the confines of Empire But he'll never achieve those dreams Because frankly there's no money rest in his account Because he works for Empire It's Ollie <laughs> Richards, how are you sir?
3: Yeah I'm good thanks, appreciate the ish well, you, you're, you're There's grey
0: in your hair Yeah it's the, the ish,
2: I appreciate you're it You're hanging on to the black yeah, Exactly. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you don't have three any, of them. any problem with being described as
3: penniless in no numbers. no that's fair comment <laughs> oh okay <cool.
0: laughs> uh, so you're Ted you're Father Jack you're Mrs Doyle and that pretty much makes me doodle I reckon
1: I-, I think so Chris uh,
0: and what an idiotic man child
1: well yes yeah
0: no that's fair enough actually uh, okay we're going to kick off this week as usual with your questions sent in via Twitter and Facebook and email but let's face it Twitter Uh, Some good ones This week uh, At Library Creative Asks What film have you Watched again Immediately after Viewing me 10 years old Back of cinema Oh sorry That's the Where he watched it Dragon Slayer Was the film Drag there, twice in a row
1: That that sounds wow. like a bit of a marathon <laughs> More than
0: it deserves, <laughs> yes, surely Yes, perhaps
1: I actually saw Salt twice in one day um, <laughs> Deliberately uh, Well, that was for the slightly glamorous reason that I got a ticket to the premiere Having just seen it that morning That
0: doesn't count
1: Well, yes, exactly It does count, it so count. So I saw it twice in one day I still quite like it, though And Angelina Jolie's a goddess so you know.
3: She is? She is She is, Ollie? Uh, I don't think I've ever seen anything twice in the same day uh, I did see Mission Impossible two days running at the cinema. That's okay. And then followed it with another two times, but they were there was at least a week between those. That's allowed? Yeah. That's fine.
0: Mm. Phil?
3: Good. Tarkovsky's Stalker. I'm no, sort of
0: you didn't I'm contractually liar.
2: obliged to say at this point. Am I not? I don't know. No, no I watched one, it and no I didn't have a clear part. what was happening so I watched it again. But it turned out I've been watching the DVD extras the first time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I haven't really done that before. Have but really? I, I've been watching a lot of Singing in the Rain recently. I don't know why but it's just... It's just in... I, can't get enough of it right now. So yeah. I, I don't know if I've sat down, watched it, and then thought, I really want to see that again.
0: I've, I've done it a lot in my life. I remember when I was a kid and my parents rented Commando for me because that's the sort of parents I had. And they didn't mind. They just As long as I was happy in the corner, <laughs> uh, they were happy enough. And I think I watched it six times in one day um, before that's... we brought it back to the store. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. That that's, that's my memory that's my memory I certainly watched it a couple of times Okay, I say six just to impress people um, it doesn't work <laughs> and, and as an adult I'm doing the finger quotes mm. thing uh, as an adult I've done it a bunch of times I've watched Die Hard twice in a row I remember uh, Seven mm-hmm. when it first came out I saw it in Belfast with some friends and then we, we came back to my hometown Banbridge and we caught the lights showing mm-hmm. at the now defunct IFA cinema and uh, I did it most recently with um, and this is quite embarrassing Predators where I saw really? a morning screening at Fox mm. and I really enjoyed it and then I brought another friend to an evening screening and then enjoyed it not as much the second time <laughs> around. Uh, but um, the uh, Shawshank Redemption is the one that really sticks in my head because like Quentin Tarantino has a test or he used to I don't know if he still does it but prospective girlfriends he would Mm -hmm. show Rio Bravo to see if they got it and I used to start I used to do it with Shawshank Redemption Um, that was a very lonely sad person (laughs) so what you're Uh, saying
1: is you went on two dates in a day no 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 no
0: what am I dissembling? honestly come on now Uh, no but the very first time I watched Shawshank Redemption I watched it on my own what? I'm here I was talking about your brother Um, (laughs) oh it's
2: not my brother he is my brother adopted one of us is adopted
0: first time I watched Shawshank Redemption Uh uh, I watched it on my own in Northern Ireland in my room and then I raced once it was over. I just fell in love with this movie and I raced downstairs. and I made my parents watch it immediately afterwards. Yeah. And then they loved it as well. Well, That wasn't for dating purposes. I wasn't dating my mom
2: and dad. Thanks
1: for making that clear. (laughs) Thank you so much.
2: I I don't, we talked about this before I think the the Quentin Tarantino Rio Bravo test. Mm. That just seems very high risk as a dating strategy. Well, if you have like a really hot girl and she doesn't like Rio Bravo because it's a it it can be a little long. Well, maybe she doesn't like Howard Hawks's work. Maybe she finds that <laughs> you know he's... <laughs> yeah, maybe she's
0: more of a John Ford kind of gal, or yeah, she might like Don Peckinpau. Siegel. Or... Yeah, a bit of Peckinpah would be good. Peckinpau. Yeah, take the stuff off. I don't like the bit where the guy's singing. Put something else on. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> um At. P3R C Y94 <laughs> I
3: hope that's not his real name asks What was your weirdest film related dream Um, I don't know if it's film related I do vividly remember from when I was about eight uh, I remember a dream about plotting a bank robbery with Scrooge McDuck (laughs) Uh, and then I remember waking up because in my dream a tiger was attacking me but then I woke up and my cat was attacking my feet (laughs) under the duvet it had got under the duvet I don't know if that's film related but I think it's nice to
0: share it's kind of film related Scrooge McDuck may make an appearance
2: in episode seven (laughs) you never know yeah I don't know what it means so you plotted a bank robbery with
3: Scrooge, Scrooge who's the went richest
2: duck in the world. Was I didn't bank- say it
3: made sense. Was it his own bank? Was he the was he the wheelman who who was doing I, what for this heist? I remember him leading the heist. <laughs> I don't remember the full plan. To be honest, it was a dream. Hazy. I don't think there was Hazy. a very Was it in well was a film called plan? Inside Duck? It wasn't a film. It was my head. <laughs> <sighs> Ollie, <laughs> just go along
2: with this. Make it a film. Sure. But, yeah, but, Phil. Um, I don't. You don't dream. I don't dream. Yeah, I sleep with the one eye open. <laughs> no, I do. I do dream. I just don't. I don't remember that many specific dreams. But we did this great thing in the magazine a while ago that my that Nick um, planned out, which was we interviewed movie stars about their favourite dreams. And I had a phenomenal interview with Marion Cotillard, where she told me about a dream in which she'd been having. Uh, a, a relationship with a, a close friend a lady friend <coughs> and I stand Alan Partridge now um, a lesbian relationship which had come to an end and they were on a hotel bed and they were making they were saying their farewells and then she was in the jungle with a moustache like Tom Selleck <laughs> running through the jungle it was a good dream I don't have anything as good as that oh that's a, that's a shame Helen
1: no nothing in specific I'm pretty sure I've had them but I can't remember any I gave Robbie Carlisle a lift once I remember in a dream I don't know why we find a puppy I don't know where it was weird
0: knowing it's Robbie Carlisle he probably stamped the puppy to death no it was I a mean, very
1: cute puppy it survived
0: okay yes. fair enough I think it did yeah um, I have really bizarre dreams about celebrities I can't really remember anything specific but I have a very strong memory of interviewing Kevin Costner in a dream about two weeks ago and I'm getting really excited about it and it's going quite well. I'm going, that went quite well at interview with Kevin Costner. And started tra- I even started transcribing it in my dreams. <laughs> no <laughs> <What>? <laughs> That's <laughs> no so way. That's
1: so sad that you transcribing.
2: <laughs> That's just That's what gets amazing. me off. What can I say? I would love to see your version of Inception. <laughs> <laughs> you just, like, your architect has created like a work experience person and <laughs> <laughs> a photocopier. Uh, it's I run boring. to the Coke machine. Sorry, I- no. yeah.
0: Even in my dreams, I'm borrowing 60p for a can of Coke from people. Okay at Gaston Grimsteig asks uh, Noble Warriors which is us when the Mouse House which is Disney reboots Indiana Jones which is a character played by Harrison Ford as they surely will who will
3: be under that hat? I just don't think they will they won't no leave Long, it alone Disney they, they, might make, they might make more but they won't reboot it you, yep. can't, you can't no you can't you can't
0: unless you know 30-40 years time when Harrison Ford is done no with but
3: still it's kind of it's lightning in a bottle it wouldn't you need that you need the combination of Harrison Ford and Steven Spielberg otherwise it's not that I can't see who would want to do it. I agree. Tom Selleck. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Are we supposed to be saying something about Shia LaBeouf at this point?
1: No, let's not. <laughs> Did you hear, though, that he got into a fight in New Cross? He was hanging out in New Cross, which is a very unglamorous area of south-east London where I happen to live, uh-huh. and he got in a bar fight.
3: See, this is why we don't come to New Cross, Helen. Well, Hang on. I'm Hang on. just Hang saying on. we're
1: up and coming if Hollywood is there. <laughs> was this a dream? I, I don't think it was. Was
0: no, I wasn't, because I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty oh, sure you goodness. sent me a link. Unless you just yeah, sent me links and dreams no, now. This is, this is what's happening. My <laughs> oh, dreams are so dull. Uh, yeah, so Shia LaBeouf was in a fight in New Cross.
1: He was, yes. Which Indiana Jones would never do. Ergo, he shouldn't play Indiana Jones. Ergo, let's move on.
0: Do you feel safer in the streets of New Cross with Shia LaBeouf? <laughs> he's got your back.
1: Well, if he's there, there Bumblebee can't be far away, so that's True. really good.
0: Someone goes, give me your purse, lady. He comes in and goes, no, 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 <laughs> no. Because that's all he does. Okay, at Fidel Afro's Ebo asks, Star Wars related question: Should Star Wars virgins watch the films one through six or in release order? Very, very simple question.
1: This is an interesting one because uh, there's actually been some discussion of this online in recent months and years. And I read a pretty compelling argument that what you should actually do basically if you watch 4, 5 and 6 nowadays you've got no idea who that bloke at the end is because if you're watching them on DVD or Blu-ray mm. then you're going to see Hayden Christensen so you've got no idea who that is and it doesn't make any sense Yes. so um, you have to watch a bit of the prequels to, uh, to get the emotional impact of that mm-hmm. but what this uh, particular ar- article I was reading said is you can completely skip episode 1 because nothing that matters happens in it
3: that's a fair point I think
1: you can pick it up at 2 and 3 which aren't quite so bad and then go four, five, and six.
3: See, my feeling is you watch them in... If you must watch them all, Mm -hmm. which is not necessarily recommended, I would say you you should watch them in release order because if you start off with Darth Vader as Darth Vader, you are interested in how he became who he is. But if you start off with him as a little kid really annoying, Mm -hmm. you're not really interested in what becomes of that kid. Mm.
0: Agreed. You could condense the first three movies... You know the way they used to have compendiums of the best of carry-on on Saturday <laughs> afternoons on ITV yes. about 2.30? Because they, they couldn't afford like sports rights on the other side. <laughs> so they used to like show you clips mm-hmm. of Jim Dell going downstairs on a hospital trolley. They should do that with Star Wars. So you just like watch the very best of episodes 1 to 3, and then you can go into episodes 4 to 6.
2: There you go. I'm just saying, George, if you're listening. Maybe watch the prequels on a black and white TV. With the sound off and pretend they're like silent era movies, mm-hmm. and then when you get to the good films, you'll be like, "Wow, these films look even more incredible."
3: <laughs> that would be even worse, though, because they're so talky. Yeah,
1: you'll just be
2: watching people zone
3: out. So well, you do that anyway.
1: Well, maybe you could get a live, you know, organist to come in and play through the silent black and white prequels. Yeah, the John and Williams themes them a and of- Hammond organ. Yeah, it'd be great.
2: Yeah. Incidentally, whilst we're talking about it, I saw John. John Williams being a, a tribute to John Williams at the Barbican last week and it was amazing whoa, whoa, whoa. and they finished with Star Wars not the Imperial March and who, who was they? the London Symphony Orchestra okay and not just that but they played the theme to E.T. which is obviously oh, that you know, they were heavily involved in themselves was this the same concert that Ian Freer was at? no he went that was to the, that was the actual the, John Williams he went, sorry the actual John Williams I had the you saw an Earth picture, John Williams. picture <laughs> of John Williams on a screen CG Jar Jar Job Williams <laughs> No, just a bit sure. he wasn't there unfortunately but it was amazing it, it, I imagine yeah. it was
0: ok thanks for your questions and your comments if you want to get your question or comment on the show it couldn't be simpler we're on Twitter we're at Empire Magazine the hashtag to use is Empire Podcast otherwise it'll get lost in the crowd you can Facebook us where we're Empire Magazine or you can email us using your email device we are podcast at empireonline.com so there you go coming up the week's movie news, diced and sliced by a crack team of dicers and slicers. Okay, movie news time now, or as I like to call it, what's happening with Star Wars Episode 7 time? Helen.
1: Hello, welcome to Rumour Control. <laughs> um, yes, every director currently being interviewed by anyone, anywhere, is being asked would he or she like to direct Star Wars Episode 7. So there have been some more developments this week. Uh-oh. The current tally. Those who've ruled themselves out are J.J. Abrams, Steven Spielberg, Quentin Tarantino, Zack Snyder, Gareth Evans, Sam Mendes, and just yesterday in our own web chat, Mike Newell.
3: <laughs> Sorry, who ever thought that Sam Mendes might direct Star Wars Episode Seven? I, think I it was, was at, Chris I was who asked I was, I was interviewing on stage and I said, "Are you
0: going to do well, some, Did I say or did an audience member said? Anyways, he was asked about directing the next Bond, and he went, uh, "No, uh, I don't think I will." and it was the day after the news broke and I went well there are two queues in Hollywood at the moment there's one for Bond and one for Star Wars are you in the queue for Star Wars just as a joke and he went oh no and he laughed and then he said something but he likes Star Wars
2: actually but uh, no and Mike Newell yesterday did say every director would put the hand up for yeah. Star Wars, every director would put their hand out for James Bond. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, I think, obviously, with the that yes. some directors wouldn't, but he's right, most
3: most obviously would do that, I give it a shot. Mm. Have we heard from you know, Jane Campion, Mike Nichols yet? What's their stance?
1: No, but I, I'm sure we'll be chasing that one, Ollie. We'll, we'll uh, in touch so Currently, them, yeah. currently, currently being it. sort of tipped are Joe Johnston, John Favreau, Matthew Vaughn, Colin Trevorrow, and uh, Guillermo del Toro still being talked about in some quarters, although I think that's unlikely.
0: Because Guillermo said this week that he wouldn't mind, he, hasn't, he hasn't been he said formally hasn't been approached. Been, Formally
1: approached, yeah. Which is an the word interesting formally? Phrase,
0: yeah. But, um, I wonder, hey. given his experiences on The Hobbit. Uh, whether he, he'd actually want to get back into bed with uh, another big franchise again
1: and also I think he's hoping that Pacific Rim will go, will do well and open the door for more of his own personal things so he might be in, in line for those but at the same time you know being who he is would he would at least I think have the discussion so it's an interesting one but what we're also hearing from Frank Marshall mm-hmm. is that the list is down to two
0: dum, 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 dum.
1: Frank the- Marshall uh, yes has said that the list is down to two people uh, we don't know which two So let your furious speculation begin because you may not have long.
2: Is Frank Marshall one of them?
1: (gasps) Probably not. I've never seen
2: so many... News stories ending in question
4: marks. (laughs) And Andrew
2: Andrew Marr made this point in his book that if it's got a question mark in it, the answer is invariably no. Yes, if the headline of the news story, you'd say so. And I just wondered, you know, how what's our sort of approach to this? And for movie fans that are listening, they're like they're navigating a bit of a minefield Mm. of misinformation, rumours, speculation. What what are how how do they do that? And what are we?
1: Well, what we've been trying to do is basically gather up the quotes of what everyone says and put them on one page of our website. So if you go along there, you can actually see what the current... State of play is what people are actually saying. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I think this will be settled within a week or two because I think if they've got it down that close, you know they're clearly well on their way. They've made a lot of preparations before they even made the announcement. They have a writer. They have a writer. Michael Arndt uh, is writing. Guy f- who did uh, Toy Story three, of course, which was great. He's also got Oblivion uh, currently m- trundling its way towards screen. Oscar
3: winning Michael Arndt.
1: The, the Oscar winning Michael he's Arndt for Little Miss Sunshine. He's so, doing the
3: Hunger Games sequels as well. And isn't he's he? doing the Hunger
1: Games sequel. So he's clearly he's a guy that they trust with big franchises. Mm. he's a guy who knows his way around sci-fi and he proved with, with Toy Story in particular he can do great things with existing characters so mm. I'm, I'm quite encouraged by that and uh, yeah, we await an official announcement with interest
0: dum, 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 dum. If you are Mike Nichols and Jane Campion and you're listening <laughs> do drop us a line so we can <laughs> add you to that page and Lennon and, and Lars von Trier and Lars von Trier Lars von Trier I'd love to say Star Wars with real sex Well, no, I <laughs> <would be>
1: <laughs> there was a fascinating article in the New Yorker yesterday which suggested that there should be a rule the Bond rule that every Oscar winning director their next film has to be a Bond movie I don't agree mm. with that I think it Bond would be Bond would be
3: dead within months if that happened it
1: would be hilarious mm. and wonderful
3: Well a lot of them would make I think they'd make great films If you think of the past few years... Catherine Bigelow's Bond would be phenomenal.
1: Yeah,
0: Neff Pierce has been banging on about her doing a Bond film for a long, long time.
1: Well, there we go. That's
0: a conversation killer.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Jesus. All right. Uh, Phil, what do you got? Um, Well, we were talking about Michael Arndt. He's co-writing Hunger Games' sequel with Simon Uh and My story is about Simon Beaufoy, who has been uh, charged with adapting an American novel, Called Billy Lines' Long Walk to Freedom, which I've read and it's absolutely fantastic, and I'm very excited about this. So I got on the phone to Ink Factory Films, who are producing it with with Film Four, to talk to them about you know what they've got in mind. This is a this is a book about it's been billed as a kind of catch twenty two for the Iraq War um, by people a lot smarter than me. I don't think it's got that satirical edge. It's basically about a squad of of, of US troops that have come back from a really fierce engagement. in in Iraq, Bravo Squad, they're brought to um, the Dallas Cowboys Thanksgiving game, which is like the kind of Alpha and Omega of American life, pretty much. And they're given the tour of the stadium. They meet, they're they're with a movie producer. And this is kind of why I found it fascinating as an idea to make a film about, because it's a film, it's a book partly about the filmmaking process. Throughout this process, these guys, and this one guy, Billy Lyne in particular, is being accompanied by a big movie producer who's always on his phone and he's talking about who's going to cast them who's interested in playing these guys in the in the hollywood version and there's some really funny stuff like one of the guys they're linking hillary swank with his part and so all the (laughs) other soldiers are taking the piss out of him going you're going to be played by a woman obviously hillary swank has played men before but you know obviously in the camaraderie of, of of uh of the troops it's um it's a source of banter Um, it's a great book it taps into so many different aspects of American life the war Hollywood sports corporate America I highly recommend reading the book very excited about the film I spoke to the producer Roger Thomas and he was telling me that that Simon Beaufoy is obviously adapted Slumdog Millionaire Mm -hmm. he's adapted uh, Simon Fishing in the Yemen he was picked because he's got an eye for for difficult adaptations it's not an easy movie to make out of this but I think it's going to be a good one Cool. Good work, Scoop. Assembly directors <laughs> announced sometime next year. Probably in American.
0: You're gonna have a hat with a little press card stuck into the. So <laughs> am
2: I to smoke a cigar now? <laughs> mm. Not in here. Health and safety. Damn. Don't like it. Uh good stuff. We like Simon Beauvoir. Yes, and I, I, again, as as Roger was saying, he. If you look at the the the, the scripts that he's written, and Hunger Games is another one. Mm. You know, they're, they're, that's probably an easier adaptation than say Q&A for Slumdog potentially. Yeah. But he gets the juice out of the story and he and he makes it into you know to the to the narrative structure of a movie, and that's not an easy to, that's not an easy thing to pull off, and he's done it time and again.
0: Is he the person who's had the most success from Full Monty?
2: Just throwing it out there. I'm yes. Well, Robert Carlyle yeah. turned up in your dream,
0: but, <laughs> <laughs> but then he stabbed the dog
2: to death, oh, and it all went wrong. Well, no, he didn't better.
1: kill the dog.
0: Oh come on, it's Robert Carlyle. Oh. he's a lovely man in real life. We should say that he is a very lovely man yeah, in real life. I'm, yes, but I'm referring very to true. his his screen reputation for stamping dogs to death. Um, okay, Tom Wilkinson. I don't think he's ever sent a dog to death. No, oh, no, he's I mean, done
2: too late well. with the he's last point.
0: Oh, right, okay. Yes. No, he's done okay. <laughs> he's done, he's done, done okay. all right.
3: He's <laughs> done all right for himself. <laughs> uh, Ollie, what have you got? Uh, I've got um, a story about The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Um, and this is about a, a character be very familiar to many, which is Harry Osborn. Yes. And uh, note, I say Harry Osborn and not the Green Goblin because we don't know what that means whoever plays him becomes the Green Goblin within the next film um, but there is now a short list for those act for that part uh, Mike Newell Mike, Mike Newell Jane Campion yeah Jan Campion is right up there <laughs> um, and these will be names which are not household names uh, except one of them should be very well known to film fans which is Dane DeHaan who was the really creepy kid in Chronicle
1: ooh he was creepy
3: yeah <laughs> uh, another one is Brady Corbett, who was in Melancholia. And, and of course. Martha, Marcy May Marlin. And Thunderbirds. And Thunderbirds. That's, and where, he, you, that's yes. where he got to start. I interviewed him instead of Thunderbirds and it was clear he did not want to do that film. Well, hopefully he, he, I expect to want to do this one more. And the other one is Alden Ehrenreich, who I've never come across in Ireland. Ah, now, now a, I've seen
1: his Francis Ford Coppola films. Indeed. It was okay. Yeah. He was in Tet-
0: oh, oh, yes. He was dubbed the new Leonardo DiCaprio by I
2: think Alden Ehrenreich so <laughs> well, harsh, looking good I, I thought think... Danger Home is the new Leonardo DiCaprio no oh, the new new Leonardo DiCaprio he's not the new Leonardo DiCaprio he
1: kind of is he looks like a creepier Leonardo DiCaprio
3: <laughs> he's a creepy Leonardo DiCaprio <laughs> <laughs> let's not tie him with the creep brush Leonardo DiCaprio <laughs> and he's also, he's also in uh, Lincoln as a character who I think could be attributed as private exposition, um, <laughs> he turns up at the beginning, and explains what's happened. He is a uh, well. He's a lot as well. I good. think he'd be. I think he'd be a great choice of those three. Granted, he's the one I know best, mm-hmm. but I think he'd be a great choice. Harry Osborne. He's always. He's got that slightly um, menacing air. As if there's something else going on. He also always sounds like his voice is still on the verge of breaking.
1: And just to be clear, you're talking about Dane DeHaan there when you say he.
3: Yeah, as opposed to...
1: Well, I w- it wasn't clear from the previous discussion. Oh, I was already... I no, I, I thought it was clear. I okay. thought it
0: was clear. But, uh, yeah, I think the other two, Alden Ehrenreich and... Brady Corbett. Brady Corbett or... Um, oh, OK, sorry. Corbett. wow. Uh, are... Uh, Fancy. Uh, yeah. Uh, are uh, maybe a little bit too hunk- or hunkier? Uh, no, hunk- they're no. Not in a chef boucher kind of way, obviously,
3: but in a, in a very you know, young starlet. F- no, I would say they're all kind of weedy in a Hollywood scene in a Hollywood sense
0: this has worked out really well wow
1: Wow. Um, Ollie would like to thereby challenge any of these young actors to an arm wrestle
3: you rip Uh. the bones out their (laughs) sides just saying they're not they're not you know big beefcake the rock type actors No, the rock would be a great (laughs) Harry Potter. Actually, (laughs) well, did you see him
1: painted green for his Halloween costume? He painted himself green and wore purple pants and basically looked exactly like Hulk.
3: And then stayed home.
0: (laughs) 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 Okay, awesome. That's the the week's movie news rounded up. No one talked about Chris McQuarrie maybe directing Mission Impossible Five. I thought, hey, he might do. He might direct Mission Impossible Five because he's like Tom Cruise's like number one guy. BFFs. BFFs forever. Uh, Ordinarily, we'd have an interview at this point, but. this week we didn't interview anybody No, but which is Chris, we did We did What?
1: You were there We, we interviewed We, we didn't interview you You know, tall guy, dark hair No, doesn't Irish Irish Made some of your favourite TV shows ever No? Um, he was. You were wearing your blue jumper Ah, Graham Linehan There you
0: go Ah, the co-creator of Father Ted And creator of the Antique Rad. Oh, of course, here he is And he was talking to myself and Helen
3: I think that worked Yeah I think ish. that worked okay. I'm so embarrassed
0: <laughs>
4: oh, God
0: We are delighted as ever to be joined in the Empire Pod booth by Graham Linehan, who was uh, one of the co-creators and co-writers of the magnificent Father Ted and, of course, is the, uh, the writer of the IT crowd.
4: Yes, hello. Hello, sir. Good. Hello. How, how are, are you? you? Good. Yeah, not As too bad. ever. Have I been here before? I don't know. No, remember. but I'm, I'm all, I always say I'm <laughs> delighted, always to welcome, delighted to welcome You're always people. delighted I'm always delighted. I'm never less than delighted to welcome people to the public. Yes. Otherwise, you wouldn't, you wouldn't invite people
0: you hated to be on the public. We
1: booth. try not to. <laughs> do, right?
0: Yeah, we have an active no hating people policy. Yes, yes. yes that's good. That's as good. we said, but we're massive fans. We are. Thank you very it. much. Uh, and yeah, we're also Irish, as you might Yes,
1: have. there's blatant racial stereotyping here <laughs> in who we got to to interview you.
0: It is disgraceful. But you're here to talk about. I guess at first, anyway, the the complete Father
4: Ted box set. Yes, I think they've called it complete. The last one was called the definitive collection. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> so this is even more definitive. So what's what's completely definitive about this one then? Well, um, the, the you know last Christmas or two Christmases ago, I did we did a Father Ted night and. Um, we recorded a, a documentary for the evening where we went back to uh, uh, some of the locations that we filmed that and and reminisced. Uh, so we wanted to put that on the DVD and and also Arthur came around to the. I, I think he enjoyed doing the third uh, commentary so much that he decided to go back and do the first two with me as well. You know, <laughs> right? So yeah, but the thing is, uh, I because as I say uh, the last one was called the the definitive collection I got a bit embarrassed about that so (laughs) we've arranged for the documentary to be released on iTunes for two weeks before the uh, release for free so, uh, if you have got the definitive collection, you you don't have to get the new one. Right. But if your DVDs are all scratched and screwed up, this would be a good one to get. Yeah.
1: I, I remember watching that on TV actually when it when it came out. It was uh, it was terrific. Although I was very discombobulated as I always am to see Frank Kelly
4: uh, no, yes. behaving
1: like a like a proper human being. Yes, he looks know. like
4: a wine expert. He is a wine expert. <laughs> you know, someone who drinks toilet duck, but you know, generally can be seen talking about, you know, whether Ryoka goes with uh, Duck. (laughs) 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 And uh, Father Ted was, of course, uh, also
0: voted recently the funniest Channel 4 uh, comedy of all time. Yeah, that was very flattering. That was very Mm. nice. When it first started out, though, it was this kind of rogue show that, uh, that 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 kind of popped up on Channel Four, and I, I remember watching that out of curiosity, going, "What's this? Uh, this Irish sitcom?" I'll give it a yes,
4: go. Yes, I bet. Like most Irish people, your heart sunk when you <laughs> when you saw it was coming. <laughs> I would have. I would have been like, "Oh God, what's this going to be like?"
0: People have asked on Twitter today, "Do you know what what might be happening to Ted Dugan and Jack?"
4: I think history probably caught up with Jack (laughs) he's the one who if anyone was going to go down for some of the bigger more horrible crimes of the Catholic Church it's Jack I think think Ted and Doug would be fine I think they'd still be hanging out you know okay but you know I think I'll tell you what's probably if Ted existed now the thing that's probably saved him is the thing that that uh, I really love as well uh, the internet he, he probably goes online and pretends to be non- a non-priest <laughs> you know yeah I, I can imagine that somehow he I mean, can be anything on the internet so he can you know he can pretend to be in Vegas like he always wanted to be <laughs> did, did you and Arthur ever work out
0: Reams a backstory for Ted I mean did you ever for, for example oh know God, m- no, no
4: did it ever look like we had an idea <laughs> like, no I, I to, for example did you know how much money was resting in his account <laughs> no 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 all that stuff um we kept that flexible because for the same reason that we I think we showed a map of Craggy Island once uh, and that was a mistake because (laughs) one one of the things I loved about uh, the, um, the mythology is that we could really decide week to week what the reality of it was so in one week we could say there was no west side to the island (laughs) and another week we could say you know that i don't know the island was shaped like a dolphin and we could we could just make it up as we went along you know as long as we kept some semblance of the physical rules of space working as it does in real life then we could do anything we wanted so we tried not to be specific uh so we could have more fun you know Like we described, uh, there's one priest who we we would describe, I think we got the idea on the second series to describe a priest who we we would hear about him in in every week in a different way. Like one week we heard that he was in a room when a kettle exploded. Um, And another week we would hear that he had no ear and stuff. And what we wanted to do was build up a a mental image of this appalling looking priest who'd been in all these accidents, (laughs) you know. So... Uh, research would probably have gotten in the way of that. (laughs) (laughs) Back back in the day when you and Arthur first started and came up with the idea did you
0: ever see beyond the first series did you think you would get to series two series three and this idea now
4: that Ted is beloved. Yeah I I didn't know if it would go that far but but we definitely thought um uh, people will like this because we can't really do a show without having that belief on some level uh, if you've written a show and, and it's going out and you're thinking oh, this is uh, <laughs> then then I, I wouldn't have the energy to, to get to that stage I wouldn't allow it to get on TV in fact some of the things that I worked on I bailed on very quickly because I thought this won't work I don't think this will work and I would I would I would just um, get out of it, you know. Oh, um, so if something gets onto the screen, it's b- usually because I think it's damn good, you know. And 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 Ted reflected what Arthur and I always loved—the young ones and Faulty Towers and all these shows. Uh, we were emulating these shows, and we thought, you know, if we can even touch their hem, then then we're onto a good thing, you know. Mm.
0: Did you and Arthur have a, a list of? Priests and foibles and and stuff because I mean the Christmas the, the laundry scene for example the priest with a
4: really boring voice and so on did you have were you taking things off as you went along or? Uh, kind of I guess I mean it became almost too easy to create characters with Ted because all we had to do was um, think of a uh, any kind of uh, characteristic and put it behind a dog collar and suddenly we had a character (laughs) so you know we'd have the sarcastic priest he'd just come in and be sarcastic and for some reason these incredibly simple characters but make them a priest and you've got something a little bit more interesting you know so you know it was kind of cheating a little bit I guess but uh, it worked for the show you know
1: uh, some of the gags though are still just inspired. The first time I saw "Small and Far Away," I think I think the, the joke came just before the ad break, and mm. we laughed the entire. <laughs> way the ad break.
4: It's funny, isn't it? But now you look at it, and I I've kind of forgotten why it's funny. I can't see the joke. Almost, it's very weird. But I remember at the time we were we we knew we had this bit where they had to be bored in the caravan, and uh, I was on location. We were looking for. We were shooting the. Um, the, I, no, in fact we were just looking for a location to put the caravan and uh, we were standing in an empty field and I saw some I saw some cows and, and and that was it and it made me laugh at the time and then hasn't made me laugh since <laughs> 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 that's all you need though just to laugh at once yeah absolutely <laughs> well you know what the, the, the brilliant thing about writing is is you are your own first audience mm. it's why I don't understand bad comedy you see some shows that are really bad and the jokes are bad and they're and <laughs> you just think when did you laugh at this when did you sit down giggling to yourself about what you were writing and I, I often think well the answer is never but you still made it why did you make it mm. and it's I guess you know it's just there is a need for comedy it, a hole that has to be filled and sometimes it's filled with, with with stuff that's just below par but if you're not laughing at it if you're not your own first audience mm. you know rolling around clutching your sides then there's there's no chance anyone else will be no one's going to laugh at him more than you <laughs>
0: <laughs> good point good point I mean did, you, you said in the past that Father Jack became difficult to ride for
4: yeah did anyone else we backed difficult? ourselves into a yeah. corner there because he only we said we used to insist he only says five things he only says these words and that's it and, or you know occasionally he'll he'll break into a kind of weird uber consciousness and, and say something longer but generally just these five things and and as a result you know we just where do you go with that you know and also it was kind of unfair on Frank because Frank is a is a, a you know a, a gate Trained actor, you know, Gate is uh, the Gate Theatre in Mm. Dublin, you know, I think it was the Gate he trained at. And, uh, you know, he can do so much. And here we were, you know, sticking him in a corner, getting rained on, and, you know, and just kind of, I, I just thought you know we've got to let Frank go we've got to let him spread his wings so luckily he's been he's he's been able to do that a bit more since Ted oh while
0: well, we're in that horrible milky contact and yeah
4: yeah oh per Frank no one could eat dinner or lunch next to him you know because uh, and Frank likes to talk so he he likes an audience so he but you just see him sitting on his own with his milky eye and the pus coming oh. out of his ear oh. and <laughs> no one could just no one could face it <laughs> did you did you find that what anyone else became difficult to write for as you went along Dougal was Beginning to get difficult I mean I've, I've often said it but the only r- character who is real and also has a bit of depth and I thought we had the biggest range of jokes for was, was Ted mm-hmm. you know um but Dougal was our attempt to write a Trigger from Only Fools and Horses or a Woody, and you find that often those characters actually not Woody. Woody was quite central, but but Trigger is only brought on every now and again to be, to be hilarious. And it it's his it's that scarcity that that helps Trigger, mm. whereas Dougal was really front and center all the time. So and his stupidity was a kind of it was almost like a it was almost like something uh, otherworldly. You know, mm. someone who when the light turns off he. thinks thinks he's been asleep you know <laughs> so uh, you know I mean we could have we may have been able to go on for, for a while with that but but I don't know you know but uh, having said that all of this stuff was just again how we felt at the end of the third series yeah. Yeah. where we just thought we can't do this again this is too limited and cartoonish it's exhausting
0: the IT crowd you've done four seasons for series and that seems to be it but I know there's talk of a special yeah, yeah. Obviously hopefully you- next year yeah, the all the all the
4: guys have gone on and done
0: incredible things since. But you're you're, so next year hopefully. You're gonna I think so. Yeah,
4: yeah. We've got a, uh, it's about a forty minute hour long or hour on Channel Four um, special. That uh, yeah, I think it's I think it's good. I think it's um, I think it's a big one. It feels it feels big enough to end the series on. You know, mm-hmm. and. Uh, yeah I think it doesn't really I don't think it's going to you're not going to see anything like them getting married or something like that but I think it will end at satisfying Roy Moss (laughs) Moss. yeah exactly Uh, but I think it's got I think it's a nice closer I think Okay, it's been difficult. Have you written it? It's been. Has it been I've written it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's. Uh, but you know, it's still very loose at the moment. I'll probably go back and change change a few things. You know, uh, especially since some of the jokes are probably out of date now, being <laughs> technology based. You know,
0: you must be fairly proud though of of the way you know Chris and Richard and Catherine have, have kicked on oh, since the show began.
4: Yeah, absolutely. I see posters for their films when I come into London, and I just feel fantastic. You know, it's it's a wonderful wonderful sensation to have been in any way responsible for, for, for them getting a higher profile you know and you get royalties of course from all not their for projects. their other films sadly <laughs> damn it no
1: there should be some kind of system <laughs> surely there, there really
4: should it might involve me me sneaking into one of their houses <laughs> <laughs> Richard's money is just resting in your exactly,
1: <laughs> yes,
0: exactly yeah um, you said you're you're working on something else now as well you're working on yes I'm on working Odyssey. on a
4: show uh, Count Author um, it's a character that Steve Delaney created years ago called Count Author strong Mm -hmm. and it's a sitcom with him and another person who I can't say I can't say his name because he hasn't signed his contract yet Um, but uh, I think it's going to be um, I have no again I have no doubts about it we've written all the first drafts there's stuff that makes me laugh out loud in every episode and we haven't even got to a second draft yet on some of them so (laughs) I've I'm pretty secure about that one. So is it going to be uh, BBC channel? Four? Saw, well, it's BBC, so I just hope there's a channel to put it on. <laughs> there will be. A, this rate you might be the only one left. Yes, yes, I'll be director general,
0: so I'll give, give it a good slot <laughs> So you'll only last two, three, two days, three days. <laughs> <nights>. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and the last thing I want to ask you, Graham, is about your your column in the late lamented Neon magazine. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, how did that come about for you? Was that was that fun to write every every month? Uh?
4: I have to say, it wasn't fun fun <laughs> to write. I'm not very good at uh, deadlines and stuff like that so i uh, to be forced to write something i would leave it till, till the last moment and then have a really unpleasant weekend trying to hit the word count uh, and I just I never really enjoyed it I, I think I would enjoy it more now because I now realise the way one writes is to, is to you write in plenty of time you write any old nonsense mm. and then you give yourself some time to rewrite and and to you know to make it work uh, but in those days I would literally write a line think mm, oh no that line doesn't look good and i delete it uh, in those days roll up a piece of paper and took it away and <laughs> uh, and then write uh, uh, the line rewritten. And then, it's you know, oh, okay, I guess. And then write the second line. Oh, no, I don't like the second line. Throw that away. I mean, it was an absurd way of working. Um, very wasteful of paper. And very wasteful of paper. And uh, finally, you know, um, it just, it was so, uh, I, I tortured myself so much with it that um, I had to stop, you know. Well, I'm glad to dredge up that unpleasant memory for you. So. <laughs> Thank you, yes. <laughs> well, thanks for coming in, Graham. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. It was Thank you. really
0: fun. Thank you. Thank you very much, mate. Cheers lovely chap that Gremlin in. isn't he Helen yes talking he was, yes. He was yeah. pay attention I'm yes. fine sorry <laughs> lovely chap he was it. it
1: was nice to have a fellow Irish person on here you know we're so underrepresented <laughs> on the podcast <laughs> I know
0: sorry if our accents got really thick there uh, during that interview by the way uh, which reminds me talking about Father Ted our most recent competition offered three listeners Or if you're Irish Tree listeners The uh, chance to win A DVD box set Of the complete Father Ted Don't shake your head at me. You're a self-hating racist Don't judge me Don't judge me The question was Who played Father Ted The answer is Of course the late Great Dermot Morgan And the winners are Father Ben White Father Ryan Davison And Father Sarah Stringer Look at us, Helen, making strides. (laughs) Female priests. (laughs) Okay, time to wrap things up now by discussing the week's big releases. And it's a hella good week, as no doubt would no doubt say. Let's kick off the huge multiplex dominating behemoth that is Michael Haneke's... Sorry, I misread that. The uh, Twilight Saga Breaking Dawn (laughs) Part 2. Helen. Hello. You're a resident... Twi-file uh, I'm not going to call you because you're not thank a twi you I'm not
1: you? a Twihard, no. you don't queue
0: out to speak I certainly R-Pats do not and touch no. him and-
1: I have met Arpats. he was a very nice man but I don't you know love him okay um, <laughs> yes so uh, this is the finale of the Twilight Saga Breaking Dawn Part 2 Edward and Bella are now married. Omg, I know. (laughs) Um, uh, Jacob's finally, you know, resigned himself to this situation and has a crush on. Well, it's a bit weird. Their daughter, but like more who she's going to grow up to be than it's not a paedophile thing. Anyway, it's kind um, of a
3: paedophile thing.
1: and, And no, it's not. And anyway, anyway, all seems well except for the fact that have
3: the Daily Mail got hold of this yet?
1: Um, no, but I'm sure they will.
3: I should say, for legal reasons, I'm accusing no one in Twilight of being a paedophile.
1: <laughs> Thank you for making that clear. Good. Right. Um, so anyway, all seems well, except for the fact that the Volturi, who I'm sure you all remember, led by Michael Sheen, um, have uh, they're the kind of ruling cabal of vampires, and they think that this baby is an immortal child a a human that they've turned into a vampire who's going to grow up to be this uncontrollable savage thing well it isn't going to grow up that's the problem of course that's not the case it is a real baby which is just a weird hybrid thing. So anyway, they use this as a, an excuse to go to war doesn't against have the, the cullens. The
0: body of a baby, but the mind of a spider.
4: <laughs>
1: you know, if anyone doesn't know their obscure Father Ted jokes very well, they're going to find t- this week's podcast really confusing. Um, th- to be honest, the baby does start out weird because they try to CG. Oh my god! Eleven-year-old actress Mackenzie Foy onto you know the baby, and it, it, it is a terrifying and a disturbing and an uncanny valley of a thing. Um, so that's quite bad. But the rest of the effects in this are quite good, and for the first time the series has some actually decent action in it now the book this book comes to a finale without having a finale and they've done something <laughs> very very clever in this film to give it a finale and make it kind of work because it
0: just stops doesn't it? Kind, well, of, book, it kind of just
1: the book builds and builds to this epic con- confrontation between you know the Cullens and their friends and the Volturi and all their allies right huge confrontation you know everybody's gathering in the troops they walk toward each other across a, crowd, a field uh-huh. and then have a chat and go home in the book spoiler that's what happens
3: that's how Mormons do it.
1: <laughs> so in this case, they've come up with something, let's say, slightly more cinematic.
3: Helen's told me the ending of this, and it's amazing.
1: It is amazing.
3: Yeah, I've heard heads get it lopped off amazing. and stuff. Oh, 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 I'm not going to say whose head, although I, if you read
0: uh, Robbie Collins' review, he until he says one of the high-profile heads gets lopped off <gasps> in his review. Oh, so yes, sort of. yes.
2: Mm. the um, the sense of the Harry Potter, Deathly Alice Part Two, Denouement is there with the two armies finally facing off and all of this. I've seen the first one and I saw this one. Yes. And it's a bit like, and I don't mean any disrespect to Twilight fans at all because, you know, I enjoyed it thoroughly, but it's a bit like when you turn up to a party at like midnight and everybody's really kind of like, way, already in the middle of reveling and you're just a bit sober and don't really understand what's going on, and everything's a bit scary. And some some strange man comes and gives you a big hug, and you never you think, have I seen him before? Who are you? And why is that baby got the weirdest CG face?
1: Yeah, I'm, I, I'm
2: which making... parties
0: do you go to? <laughs> well, I like, get you know. Is there a bit where Bella and Edward trying to microwave some popcorn at two
2: in the morning <laughs> because it'd be really fun? It's no, it's it's it's. I didn't really totally understand all of the the, the sort of plot elements. I didn't understand why I took the Volturi like.
1: A year. Oh bloody to get to that. yeah! And then yeah. they
2: run home in like twenty minutes. I know that, that seems <laughs> confusing. That yeah, um, th- but that's okay because you know a lot of things in this film don't happen in real life. <laughs> so you, go, you can go with that, I guess. You know, a lot of things in this film. <laughs> the little cottage that fire. they build, the little Hansel and Gretel cottage. Yeah, we've got this amazing modernist house with like plasma screens and probably Wi-Fi. Yeah, you can go and live in this like shitty cottage. It's a bit rubbish, actually.
1: the Cottage, isn't it? it? It's which not very... is
2: very twee and weird, yeah. but you know, Tweet I weird. like. I like, I liked it. I, you know, having not really understood or read the books, yeah. I enjoyed watching this. I think, I, I mean, the listen, the
1: haters are still going to hate. Let's be honest. I don't know Plus, how you can hate it. I'm not I, saying you're a hater.
2: No, no, no. I'm just saying I don't know haters, how anybody can yeah. hate it.
1: I think the haters are still going to hate, but the fa- fans are going to be absolutely over the moon with this installment because I think they do some really clever stuff with it. And I still think the three leads are, you know, perfectly fine in those parts. Um, and the weirdnesses of Twilight generally come from, you know, the fabric of the books themselves
2: and the baby. And the baby That freaking baby I swear to god It's just the most scary thing I've seen this year It really <laughs> is And surely the job is done Or is it meant to be a scary baby No It's meant to be loving It's like mama papa. Also I think I got my father Ted quote
0: wrong
1: Vampire oh, oh no It's the body
0: of a spider In the mind of a baby Spider baby Spider baby Oh well We're Three stars for that one Isn't it Helen? It was yes Three stars Which is a recommendation It is
1: a recommendation
0: And it's a million stars For Twilight fans It's right? a
1: million stars For Twilight fans <laughs> And like Zero million stars For the Twilight haters Yes
0: Like Twilight man Twice shite more like That's that's, that's really, a direct quote That's the level of discourse On Twitter this week uh, Okay Moving on Paul Thomas Anderson's a master Has been playing in London On one screen In 70 mil For the last two weeks But this weekend The rest of the capital And the rest of the country Get a look-see At Anderson's latest Which stars Philip Seymour Hoffman As a charismatic cult leader And Whacking Phoenix As a hugely damaged soul Who's lured into his orbit Thoughts on this Phil Let's start with you
2: This I this is the last film I paid to see I, I was lucky enough To go to New York Same here And I, I went to see it It was up because in America A month ago And I loved it we really loved it I had an amazing movie morning I went to see this and then walked up through Soho and went into this Dean and DeLuca this kind of very posh New York deli and there was Meg Ryan wow shopping for groceries I must admit, I thought she was Leslie Ash. <laughs> <laughs> I, I walked past her I was like, what the hell is Leslie Ash doing here? And I was like, oh shit, that's Meg Ryan. Uh, <laughs> anyway, speaking of anyway, that. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> please please tell me you went up to her asking about member Haven badly. Please, please, <laughs> yeah, please tell me you did that. I know. That scene in the deli. Did you have what she's badly. having? I, I didn't follow her around the shop while she was buying cheese or anything. No, I Just, just seeing of, if she managed... to you know, just some fake some space. I was still t- t- processing... Um, The Master which is one of the you know he's I love Paul Thomas Anderson's films I really enjoy this one there's been some disagreement I mean we obviously gave it five stars in the magazine we did it's not everybody's cup of tea there's been some strong discourse in the office from certain people who shall remain nameless James Dyer (laughs) who found it (laughs) boring as all hell I I love the sense of period I love the performances I thought Joaquin Phoenix and Philip Seymour Hoffman without trying to scene steal in any way or the chew, the furniture would just phenomenally mm-hmm. potent in this film there's one scene when they're both together in, in a cell which is very much like the film in Microcosm the Joaquin Phoenix going completely ballistic in this extraordinary one take scene which he actually I think physically harmed himself filming um, and, and, and Philip C. Moffman in the cell next door this sort of serene cult leader a um, lot of chat about but Scientology, they do end up yelling at each other. I mean, for all this, of course, yeah, the serenity doesn't last. But you know, yeah. all this ch- chat about Scientology, I think, is a bit of a. Um, I don't think it was intended to be a critique of um, Ron, Elron Ron Hubbard, the Tom Cruise getting an early screening stuff and all of that. Um, just enjoy it for 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 a really fascinating look at kind of post-war um, stress disorder. And uh, some epic performances, mm. some amazing performances. I mean, I you know, I,
0: I I didn't love this as much as there will be blood. Um, and my favorite PTA movie remains Magnolia. But and I kind of miss some of the early Devil May Care vibrancy of his camera work and just you know his his general staging and blocking. And this is a very deliberate film. And the camera doesn't yeah. move yeah. an awful lot in this one. Uh, but there's a scene early on where um, Lancaster Dodd, who's the Philip Seymour Hoffman character, begins to process uh, Freddie Quell who's whacking Phoenix's character and it's the best scene I've seen all year yeah, that's it's terrific. just absolutely mm. phenomenal and um, yeah, I, I was talking to uh, I was talking to someone last week I was going to name dropped there for, but I won't I was talking to someone last week who, who loved the film and it just said that he wished that he could get to a, a place as an actor that can uh, Phoenix gets to in this mm. film where he's completely without artifice and he just lets himself go and he's basically an open wound just, just waiting.
1: Mm-hmm. No, I think I think for me what worked brilliantly about it was the contrast between their characters because it's it, it, it's almost plotless, this film. There's, there's almost no through line. There's almost no arc. What it is is just the the kind of the clash and the opposition of these two characters and it seems like uh, Freddie Quell is just this volcano of frustration, can't control anything in his life certainly can't control himself Uh, And then at the complete other end of the spectrum you've got, you know, uh, Dodds uh, who almost without thinking about it, almost like instinctually uh, can't help himself from controlling not only himself but everyone around him and seems to find it so completely easy that Quell is almost the only person who interests him because he's the only person he can't manipulate without even thinking about it. Mm. And it's, I I just find that dynamic really, really fascinating. Mm. But I'd agree with you. I mean, I think There Will Be Blood was was probably a stronger film in that it felt a bit more filmic in some ways but this as a character piece is incredible
3: but see I found that was kind of the simplicity of that relationship was kind of what I didn't love about this is that with There Will Be Blood there was so much going on and every time every time you watch it you find something new whereas this I felt like it was such a simple relationship like really well really really well drawn hmm. but it kept coming back and repeating the same points over and over again because, because there's nothing really much more to this relationship than these two people are fascinated by each other and the other one contains something that the other one really wants in a way that it didn't have a lot More to explore. I thought it was a very simple film. I mean, Paul Thomas Anderson is a genius. I'm not going to say that, but this, uh, say that he's not. Mm. Um, But this was just, for me, it was not, it was nowhere near the film that There Will Be Blood is, just in terms of, like, There Will Be Blood is a uh, film that you watch and you think, I cannot believe that someone managed to come up with this Mm. and keep this going and tell this story in the way they've told it. This was just a very simple drama that he'd kind of, I thought he took a long time to tell it, really.
1: It doesn't feel simple to me, I uh, wouldn't say.
2: No, I, I felt there was real complexity in their relationship. You couldn't tell if it was parasitic or whether there was sort of symbiosis between them, whether they were kind of in harmony, or there's a bit where Joaquin Phoenix's character is almost like an enforcer, mm. and you're not quite sure how... You know, Freddie Quell is going to respond to that because he uses violence against someone who challenges his his doctrine. Yeah. And you think this man is a, it has some morality, and you and and actually does he? You, know, you never Lancaster know. Lancaster Dodd. Sorry, Lancaster, Dodd, yeah. not Freddie. But Freddie is the is the is becomes his muscle almost yeah. by default. And, and there's a really interesting scene when you when you're watching the Lancaster Dodd guy just to see you know if he's going to indict him or impugn him for that, I and mean, he doesn't. And uh, I found their relationship and and the clash of egos you know really mesmerising I mean I take your point I don't think it's quite quite up there with there will be blood yeah. but um you know, as a piece of classical filmmaking that that kind of almost feels like a Douglas Sirk type of, mm. type of thing with the real stillness and the performances mm. and, and the camera and another great Johnny Greenwood score. A great Johnny, yeah. Um, I prefer the, this to There Will Be Blood yeah, yeah, and it evolves throughout the film and changes the mood and, and, and in subtle ways. And we mm. should
1: mention Amy Adams as well actually mm. is, is yeah. terrific as Dodd's wife um, because she's got a she's got a, a hardcore tour mm. actually underneath the, the sort of smiling pregnant exterior. I
3: thought she was the most interesting of the three because mm. she's the hardest one to work out. Mm. The other two are very I, d- I don't think their, their motives are difficult to establish. You know exactly who they are and why they're, why they're doing what they do. She's much, much harder to kind of get a pin on because mm. she's, she seems to be in a way almost the brains of the outfit <laughs> more, than, more than Lancaster Dodd is. I thought she was terrific. Mm, absolutely. Uh, and I loved his
0: petulance at times, the Hoffman character, Lancaster mm. Dodd, when, he, when, he's, uh, when his ideas get challenged, he gets very stroppy. There's a scene where uh, Laura Dern's character says something to him and he just has this outburst at her, which is just just wonderful. Yeah,
3: well, that's kind of the core of it, isn't it? Yeah, this man who doesn't really know it. yeah, what he's actually well, his doing son's... or what his cause is. He just wants mm. people to follow him. Yeah, his son says, at
0: well,
2: one point, to Freddie Quell, he's just making it up as he goes along. Yeah. Can't you see that?
1: Yeah. And you do see that sometimes.
2: <laughs> you absolutely do. I, childlike men, volatile men, mm-hmm. men who are trying to find themselves a through line in all of Paul Thomas Anderson's films, I think, mm-hmm. pretty much. So, you know, and that applies to There Will mm. Be Blood. And, and there's a fascination in sort of the emotional immaturity, of uh, the masculine psyche and all mm. of that kind of stuff.
0: So is he a cousin but, of the Tom Cruise character from Magnolia? Is yeah,
2: a- <laughs> oh, I don't know. Yeah, there's a bit of that, you know, missing father figures and, mm. and that kind of stuff. Like the dark side of what Spielberg loves to explore. Um, yeah, go see fi-
3: this film. For everything I've said, it's a film I'd like to see again because I think the Paul Thomas Anderson you watch with so much expectation because almost everything he's made has been absolutely brilliant. So this didn't meet the expectations I probably unfairly put on him. But I think I'd be interested to go and see it again to then watch it as a story that I now know mm. and see if there is something else in there other than I found the first time yeah, I watched it. that's a good idea. Absolutely. And now you can. at mm. uh, cinemas other than the Odeon West End in London. So there you go.
2: It's a Rami uh, Malek double bill. Sorry it's a one? That's so. That's so random. That's so, random. I know, that I is so random. random. It is actually. Is yeah. it too random for us? Go on, Chris. I it's a Rami Rami he's a ramming man. W- he's w- an, an actor who's in that and Twilight. <laughs> he's in Breaking Dawn. <laughs> but but you wouldn't. You wouldn't know got time yeah. for that. It's like my I apologise. I shouldn't have mentioned that. Okay, Durian
0: No, 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 no. That's fine. I'm gonna leave that in because I'm baffled. That we gave it five stars, so that's as big a recommendation as you can get of course is Twilight which gets a million stars. Yay. Uh, okay so let's let's keep things hard and heavy now they're in the home stretch with Michael Haneke's Amour, The Pam Door bothering tale of an old married couple
3: who have to learn how to cope when one of them starts going downhill fast. Mm. Oliver uh, it's fantastic I loved it um, Hanukkah sometimes leaves me a little bit cold oh, So I was. ribbons so yeah <laughs> so I was kind of going into this thing eh, see what happens and it's really it's terrific I mean it's uh, it's the kind of film you could really accuse of having next to nothing happening but the reason it works is because it's so well told that there is so much that has happened before that leading up to this point so it's about this couple who are you know no specific age but kind of in their 80s I would say mm-hmm. and it's kind of about her going downhill and going you know at the beginning that she dies because mm-hmm. the, she's her body is found in this apartment in France uh, and it's about her her descent through illness and him coping with that but where so many of these films are often about the person who is coping with the person who is ill this is very much about both of them so she's this very elegant dignified woman and it's really crushing to see how she can just kind of see her Body and her mind yeah. slipping away from her, and it's really painful to watch. And the relationship between the two is is terrific. Um, it's it's a really really lovely film, and it's and it's got it's got the best symbolic pigeon I think there has ever been, <gasps> or even better, a better than the one on Moonraker? Moonraker. I'm telling
1: John <laughs> yeah. Woo on you, honestly. <laughs>
3: <laughs> They're doves. That's that's fair. Oh, yeah. Okay. But yeah, is it double taking
2: yeah. pigeon? Does it do? Does that? Want, is it double taking pigeon?
0: No, I don't think so. No, that's
3: it's a just, shame. Uh, that's it's a just shame. A, it's a it's a metaphorical pigeon.
0: The metaphorical pigeon. This film did incredibly well in Cannes. Uh, I left Cannes Film Festival before it started screening, and I started following people's reaction to it on Twitter. And people were coming out and basically tweeting in floods of tears like this film will tear you apart. And I, it,
3: it, will will it do that? Is it's, it a, is it a? I I didn't cry, mm-hmm. and my films. I am a crier. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not to say what crying now. Yeah, I know. But I'm holding it together just about uh but it's 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 enormously affecting you fully believe uh this couple and it's not just them like there's the daughter who comes in who's vile and her husband and there's all these there are other people who come into the relationship which kind of uh sort of punctuate how close this couple's relationship is because almost everyone in their life has got some selfish um reason for coming to see them that they're not really interested in this these old people. They are just some old people. Yeah. But these two old people to each other are everything. So it's a relationship that yeah you totally feel for. I wouldn't be surprised that people come out in absolute buckets.
2: Yeah. There aren't that many films that, that address this period of life really. Mm-hmm. Mike mm-hmm. Mike Lee's done it. Tokyo Story is one of the great masterpieces, does it beautifully Iris maybe And how selfish young people can be mm-hmm. in relation their relationships with with the, their elders and and such like I just want to to add though when Mike Newell came in yesterday it was interesting that he, he said somebody asked you know what would you tell the young Mike Newell starting out in filmmaking and he said well you know first of all keep on whatever you don't just keep going and he also said remember none of us are really any good and then he thought from minute, he went oh, well apart from Michael <laughs> <Maybe> Haneke Michael <laughs> Hannity, yeah. and yeah. I think you know that shows the esteem in which this man is held I think Funny Games the two Funny Games movies may be slightly distorted the way people think about him because that was an exercise in sort of shock filmmaking and he's much more than that and it sounds like this one is very much a sort of example of that.
3: Yeah, it's. Uh, I can't recommend it highly enough. I think this is this is for me the film of the week. I haven't seen the Twilight one, so I can't compare <laughs> the two. But uh, yeah, it's terrific.
0: Strong praise indeed. I have to say. Um, when I when I first heard this movie as well, you were talking about how filmmakers rarely address this. I have to say, and this is maybe me being facetious, so we might cut this bit out. Uh, I thought of the first five minutes of Up. In, a, in no, a strange way, not at all. And
3: I thought this is almost the first five minutes of Up, but like a feature length version of that. It's not. It's not a million miles from the truth. Um, but who who doesn't want to watch a film that's the first five minutes of Up?
1: <laughs> Amen to that That <laughs> would
3: kill you wouldn't it absolutely. You'd be like desiccated
2: from
0: Exactly, exactly. Oh, <laughs> It would destroy you absolutely uh, We gave uh, Amour Michael Hannigan's more of five stars which it means it's a two five star week And Fantastic. a billion stars And a million stars for Twilight do so, Or minus a million If my calculations are correct I'm just putting it in the Empire calculator here mm-hmm. That's the best week for movies ever Oh my goodness nice. Well done Taylor Lautner uh, Okay and that is it for this week's Empire podcast Join us next week for more film-related film related we will be joined by sightseers director Ben Wheatley he's the confirmed guest as in we've already recorded the interview until then it is goodbye from Helen toodaloo (laughs) it is goodbye from Ollie goodbye still crying Uh, (laughs) goodbye from Phil goodbye and it's goodbye from me I'm off to get trapped in the lingerie section of a local department store
1: toodaloo